Hi, and welcome to Nobody Asked Us, where two friends try to figure out all the things that fascinate, annoy, and baffle us. So join me, Rachel. And me, Sanaz. As we delve into all the things that nobody asked us about, but we really wanted to share. So today, we are talking about a little adventure that Sanaz has just come back from. Um... She went hiking the El Camino Trail, which from what I understand is an ancient or like medieval pilgrimage trail. Is that right? Yes. It's an old Catholic trail. That- in, in northern Spain. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, let's jump in. Sanaz, do you want to give us a little sure. summary? Yeah. Yeah. So the Camino or the way, <laughs> um, as it is in Spanish, is roughly a thousand year old pilgrimage route through Europe. Um And the kind of most famous part or the part that's easiest for tourists to do now is the part that's through Spain. Um, And there's many routes uh, and they all lead to Santiago de Compostela, which is a town in the northwest of Spain. Um, And they have a very famous cathedral there that allegedly has the uh, remains of St. James, hence Santiago in Spanish. Mm. Um, and so as a result, you know, for many, many years, people have been doing a pilgrimage across Europe there. And the symbol for the Camino is a shell, like a seashell. And so often what people would do is they would walk there and then, you know, get to the cathedral and then they would continue to the coast, uh, to a town called Finisterre, which means the end of the earth. Cause back then we thought that was it. Right. Yeah. Um, and there you would get a shell and the shell was sort of like your certificate of proof that you had done the Camino. And then you have to walk back, which yeah. people forget. You take the shell as proof um, to your local priest um, and you, you know, whatever. But you get a cookie. Like, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Whatever the reason was that you walked, it's proof that you did it. Um, in modern times, it is still something that religious people, Catholics do, but there's many people that do it for a variety of reasons, be it spiritual or life change or just recreational. Um, and so this was something that I had heard about when I studied abroad in Spain, like 16 years ago, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I just always wanted to do it. And I'm not so good with like outdoor camping kind of, you know, in a tent for 10 days with no shower. So this really appealed to me because you know, you're walking through all these tiny little villages and every night you get to a place and, you know, you have a bed, (laughs) you have a shower and you get some food. Um, And so now like these routes and there's many, there's ones coming up from Portugal or the South of Spain or, you know, all of them converge to Santiago, but along the way uh, you see lots of really interesting small towns that normally you just wouldn't catch if you were doing a trip not on foot, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so I always wanted to do it. It was always in the back of my mind. And now that I'm, you know, in sort of a career shift mood, um, I had the time for once, um, to do it. And so I did the Camino Frances because you start in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, which is, um, right on the border of France and Spain in the Pyrenees. And the total distance is 500 miles or 800 kilometers. Um, and it takes roughly five-ish weeks to do. Um, and yeah, it was, it was freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so you're, you're on foot every day, basically covering how many miles did you say? I would say an average would be about 15 miles a day, like somewhere. Between okay. Yeah. Some days were, I had a couple 24 mile days. I had a few 10 mile days. It really varies, but I would say your average ends up being about 15 or 16. Okay. Okay. So 
yeah, what are the what are what are your big themes that you wanted to that you you feel like you got out of this and what would what would you like people to know? Yeah, I think the number one thing that I'd love people to know is that anyone can do this. Um, I think the type of person who makes a YouTube video about this, and again, I did a lot of research and stuff before I went, Mm -hmm. those people tend to be much more purist about it. It's like, must carry your bag, must suffer, whatever. And I just, I don't want people to get caught up in like the perfect way of doing it. I mean, you could come, you could do five days, you could check into a hotel every day, you could not carry your bag. Like, there's so many ways to do this and get what you want out of it that I think people get stuck on like the right way of doing it. Um, but you know, I knew mm. someone who was planning on doing the full thing, uh, the full Camino de Frances, like me, like 500 miles. And then about three quarters of the way through, he's like, you know what? I've gotten what I wanted out of this. I'm going home, you know? And like, did he just take a bus to the end? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people do that. It's like when you get tired or injured or whatever, like you take the bus, you see Santiago and then he's like, all right, I'm good. You know, um, oh, that's people that come a lot of times from Europe because it's convenient. They'll come and do one week at a time to complete the whole thing. But I just want people to know that you can shape it however you want. Um, mm-hmm. And just experiencing it is enough. So don't get caught up on like, I did the Camino. Like, what does that mean? It just means you're on the path and you thought about life and you had a good time, you know? So that, that was kind of one of my first big things is like, I want to make sure it's accessible to people. Okay. Okay. So who would you, what would you say is like the why to do this? Or maybe people have different whys, but what would you say is, what are the, why should people do this? I think we as humans were meant to walk, like use our feet and to think in silence. And I just don't think our modern lives account for that. Like, you know, we wear really comfy shoes <laughs> where yes. we have our, you know, ear pods in, listen to something, you know, like, I just think that time of just that solitude and processing your emotions, regulating your emotions and just walking, it's like the human mind and body was meant for this activity. And I think a lot of people can get a lot from it because you just step away from everything and it gives you really good perspective. Um, Of course, this is an absolute privilege to do it, right? Like most Mm -hmm. Americans and most people don't have the vacation time or don't have the flexibility or funds, you know, so, but I just think compared to other things we spend money on, it might sound silly to be like, I'm going to go walk for a month, but like, it's really incredible in many ways. And yeah, I think, you know, it's very emotional for people. There are days when I would just burst out crying, you know, middle of nowhere. And like, you just, you really are confronted with a lot of things. You're forced to kind of, you can't run away. You can't distract yourself. And so, yeah, you can consider it almost like a turbocharge like therapy session. But um, I think people are surprised at sort of the perspective they get on things by having time far away from their normal life to just think and process. It sounds very zen, very like meditative. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like you're inside, like it's very social if you want it to be, you meet tons of people. And I think that's one of the things that people are the most surprised by is like just the community of people you meet because you're, you're walking together, you know, you're hanging out afterwards in the afternoon together, oftentimes in tiny towns when there's just like two restaurants, you know, so there's a very cool, like collegiate feel that comes out of it. Um, But again, if you need 
time to process. Like there are people there for all sorts of reasons. Some are dealing with loss. You know, they've lost a loved one or they had cancer or, you know, they're trying to figure out the next phase of their career. They're like, there are many people kind of working something out. Um, and then there were some people that were just avid outdoorsy people. And, you know, it was really across the board, but there were some very, very intense stories as well. Um, so I think it's kind of where people go to kind of just deal with life. <laughs> uh, I feel like you're, I mean, I'm getting sold on it already. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know you're not trying to sell people on it, yeah, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the little towns you go to, it's, it's, it's a setup route. So it's like, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a path. So these towns have facilities for Camino Hike, hikers? Pilgrims. They're called Pil- pilgrims. Yeah. Pilgrims. Peregrinos. <laughs> in um, no, seriously. So yes, all these towns and, and the route, like the official Camino route, some days there's, you know, diversions, but generally it's just one path. It's very well marked and it will generally go through every town that's along the way on purpose so that, you know, they have um, places to sleep, places to eat along the way. You generally go maybe two hours until you hit the next little village. Like it's not sometimes one or two hours, you know? So there's little things along the way to help you. And that's kind of why I chose the Camino Frances is because it's the most popular, but it also has the most amenities. And just as someone kind of going by myself for most of it, um, that was really important to me. So for me, my family came the first week. I had a lot of time in the middle by myself and then a friend joined me for the last part as well. So um, yeah, I just wanted that middle part to be easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and now because it's become so popular post COVID, um, it's just a lot easier to book ahead of time. Like that, that was a little bit of a bummer. I mean, I didn't know any better cause it was my first experience, but I heard from other people that have done it. They were like, it is kind of annoying. Like in the past you could just pack your, you know, start walking and you get to town you're like, okay, I'm tired for the day. And there was always a place to stay. And now mm-hmm. like, Things are much busier, so you have to plan a little bit ahead. Um, but yeah, there's all along, there's amenities. And all of the um, the restaurants and bars and everything, they all have stamps that because you, you get like this official passport when you first start. And then every day you have to get a stamp so you can get it at your hostel, you can get it at a restaurant, bar, whatever. And then when you get to the end, um, that's how you get your certificate by turning in your your stamped passport. Um, so it's like, they're all in on it. Do you get what I'm saying? Like there's yeah. investment around making this like a whole like tourist attraction question. So mm-hmm. when they, when they certify you at the end, do they check to make sure that you didn't like take a bus for the middle part of it? So the only requirement for the certificate is to do the last hundred kilometers. That's it. Oh, oh, oh okay. Why? So Sadia is a town in Galicia, and that's the most popular starting point because that's the last point you can start to get the official certificate. And from that point on, you have to actually get two stamps a day. Um, and so that's the one they really check. And so you can only do it by foot or by horseback. <laughs> that's another option. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, but the rest of them, they don't check. But it's like a fun thing. And like, some places have really interesting stamps. So it becomes this like cute thing to do. Um, I saw this one day I was walking and there was like a, I want to say he was maybe like eight or nine years old, this kid that was doing it with his family. And he was just, I was just like fascinated by like what a little kid's perspective is on the Camino. And I remember he was like, I got seven stamps yesterday. Like that was like, <laughs> as a kid. you know, so it, it becomes like a thing. And like, you know, some hotels have really interesting ones or the proprietary ones. So yeah. Um, it's just that like, 
it, and it's so easy because everything is so well marked. Like right when you're like, am I going the right way? Like inevitably you see a yellow arrow and it's so comforting and it's like, life just doesn't work like that. (laughs) You have instructions of what to do with your day. Yeah, that yeah, that actually does sound like yeah, you know, yeah, there's that security. I'm looking at the map right now. So there's so there's the one and it has like the yellow trail. I guess it's like yellow on the official map. But there's also like five or six other ones. Yes, yes. There's one all across the north, one coming from the south in Sevilla, one coming from Portugal. I mean, there's many, many and you can even start in like, Germany, France, Belgium. I, I met a guy that started in Belgium. Um, I've heard other people start in like Copenhagen. Like it's it's crazy. But like, yeah, like the official official like Camino extends far into Europe. This is fascinating. So what's I know that this isn't the point of the whole thing yeah. anymore, but what's at the end? What like d- did you see something really cool at the end? So what's interesting for me is that the only place I had been on this entire path was Santiago de Compostela. Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, the end is the, like the town of Santiago and like the pilgrimage ends in the square where the cathedral is. Um, So that's very cool because like people get there. I mean, it's really emotional. You can go there at any given time and during the day and like some pilgrim has just finished their path and like, it's a big deal, you know? And then, there is a pilgrim's mass in the cathedral. Um, in the cathedral, they have something called a botafumero, which is like this insane, large, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like this swinging object with incense and they light it and they like swing it like a pendulum across like the entire cathedral. It's like a show. Um, so yeah, all the pilgrims get to do that. You know, you, you get there, you hang out, you get your certificate, you go to the mass. So those are kind of like the traditional things to do at the end. Um, but I think just more than anything, just kind of like mentally or spiritually, like I just couldn't believe that I did something that hard, like five walking 500 miles is nuts. Like I basically walked the entire length of the country of Spain on foot, which is crazy do you know what I mean yeah like, that's yeah. absolutely insane so I just think like knowing that you did that effort is like a really big part of it and the last day like it's a lot of mixed feelings because you're like oh my god I've come this far like it's almost over I can't believe it's over but I can believe it's over so yeah it's it's a lot of emotions when you get to the end that's cool that's cool so what are some of the like observations you had along the way what are some of the things that you really Loved. I know we spoke before a little bit about you were surprised that the food was always the same. Um, yeah. Very <laughs> consistent. That's one way to say it. Very consistent. Yeah. <laughs> um, observations. So one, I would say, like, <laughs> I can't believe how many women snore. <laughs> what? <laughs> it was like during the times that I was in the hostel. So they call them albergues, which are like specifically for, you know, the pilgrims. But you're in like a lot of times you're in these like shared rooms, like with like bunk beds. So there's maybe like, I don't know, anywhere from six to 16 beds in a room. And this sounds terrible, but I would always like kind of when I would get in a room and try to pick my bed, I would always kind of discriminate. So if I saw like an older man that was like maybe a little larger, I would try to like distance myself as much as possible <laughs> him. And then he would always end up being this like 80 pound little petite lady next to me, just snoring like there's no tomorrow. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how is yeah. this I guess you don't as an adult really like bunk with strangers anymore. Nope. Like it's not like camp nope. 
or it's a little like camp, I guess it sounds like. It's basically camp. And like snoring is one thing. And I've learned to be a lot more, I'll say tolerant of the sounds of snoring because I can like put in my headphones and sort of, you know, zone out a consistent noise. The issue was more the people with sleep apnea because it's so like inconsistent and random. And I mean, I had one night where this man under me was like, snoring like he had snore like uh sleep apnea and it was just brutal because it's almost like an alarm clock like every 10 or 15 minutes it's like ah you know you're like oh Oh, my god thing around like you know just etiquette in a a shared space you know like if you up in the morning don't pack your shit in the room take your stuff outside because people are sleeping like it was very interesting like to observe these things as an adult when we no longer like have camp-like environments with other adults um, but yeah, so many women snore. Like I cannot understand this. Like I really thought this was more of a men thing, but I, I guess yeah. you can't really bring a CPAP machine on the No, on the no, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, my other observation is like just how much something like this is mental versus physical. Like I knew mm-hmm. that was part of it, but I didn't realize it was like a lot of it. So I met a man who um on the community, he's like, dude, I've done 80 marathons, but this shit's harder. And it's because really, oh, yeah, like it's just to get your head wrapped around making progress every day over something really long term and a big goal was like that was the challenge. Like walking by itself is not challenging, but to do it day after day, um, Mm. to kind of keep your spirits up, if you will, and to not want to quit. Um, and I think it really helped me with like a lot of things. Like now, as I think about like, you know, starting my own company, it's like, okay, this is really intimidating, but we're going to break it up. Or even now, like with harder physical things, like I've, I've gotten better at being able to kind of, you know, break it into little manageable bits. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that one was a hard thing. And also like this, this conversation came up a lot. Um, just with, I would say not just females, but like other men where like, you know, it's this type of experience is such a good like vanity check because a everybody looks like shit right for like weeks and weeks like clearly you're not wearing makeup you're always kind of sweating you're in like ugly hiking clothes like it's just a very um no one's trying to impress anybody and it's very mm-hmm. like equalizing because like what's the fanciest thing you can do be an arcteryx like head to toe like it's just like so what right like everyone right. kind of looks like a doofus <laughs> we called it um but you know, one of the girls in case she brought up this really good point that like, you just don't have, you quite frankly, don't have time to be critical of your body. You know what I mean? Like you can't, like you need, you can't criticize your thighs because you need your legs to work for you. You know, like you have to look at your body in a different way. Huh. And That's it, was, nice. it was really interesting because like the men really chimed in on that conversation when it came to like body image and vanity and stuff. And I just thought like, this is so fascinating. It's like this experiment where you have to just approach your body from a completely different perspective for weeks on end. And it can rewire you in some ways in like a very positive way. So that was one thing that I, thought a lot about right so it's 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 therapeutic in a lot of ways it's therapeutic and it just kind of forces you to let go of things so like you're constant as a girl you're constantly meeting new people for the first time without makeup do you get what i'm trying Mm. to say you're not like this is my face for going out of the house or this is my face for me like it's all gonna happen when you're the most raw and simple and i think there's something really freeing about that as well for people yeah, I can't remember the last time I left my apartment without makeup, which is 
right? Interesting. Are you, can you like, uh, this is just very detailed stuff, but this is where my head goes. Yes. How often do you shower? Uh, every day. So that was part of my thing of wanting to do the Camino because like every day you check into a hostel, hotel, whatever, and there's always showers. So like that, that was very much why this is up my alley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Villages and showers sign me up, you know, like sleeping outside with not showering. I'm good. And like bathrooms, are there bathrooms? They're shared bathrooms. So unless you like book your own hotel or you get a private room in a hostel that has a private bathroom, a lot of times, even if you had a private room, you had to share a bathroom. So that's kind of like weird. It's basically like a dorm style, right? Like showers, multiple toilets. So that's one of the adjustments just to get used to. And like, you know, it's so funny, like at night, it's like everyone's brushing their teeth together and everyone's like getting ready for bed. Cute. Yeah. Just like college. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what kind of, I'm interested in the people that you met. Um, What are the types of people? I know you said like, did you, what was the most uh, common nationality was Korean? South Koreans. Yes. Fascinating. Right? Like so unexpected. So apparently these are like the reasons that we heard along the way. Um, number one, they, the Catholic church in Korea, like, I don't know if they pay fully for people to come or, you know, they subsidize a trip to the Camino. So that's number one. It's almost like the birthright <laughs> to Israel. Like they yeah. sort of you know, make it easy for you to go. Says one. Uh, F- fancy. Yeah. Very fancy. Another reason is that there's apparently a reality show or like some famous TV show there about a South Korean couple that runs an albergue or like a hostel, like which is, you know, a place for pilgrims on the Camino, which is apparently popular. And several big time influencers have done it recently. So Koreans are everywhere. Like it's a wild. And like sometimes they're in fam, like they bring their kids. Like (laughs) it's just like, Oh my God, I can't imagine making a kid like frog march like 500 miles. I know. I was like, this is wild to me. So yeah, there were tons and tons of Koreans, um, some like Taiwanese and Japanese as well. But I would say like out of the Asians, like Koreans definitely took the cake. Fascinating. There were tons of Aussies, tons of Europeans, Americans, Canadians, and a good amount of South Americans. Um big groups from Brazil, some groups from Colombia. Like I was surprised. And maybe again, it goes back to that Catholic connection. Um, But I would say underrepresented in the Middle East, India and Africa. Like I really didn't see a lot of people from those areas at all. Mm, I I mean, also not a lot of, so we're, I mean, not a lot of Catholics from the Middle East. Um, But so would you say, uh, were any of these people religious doing this? I mean, it's, uh, you said the Koreans and the church sponsored yes. it, but like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, there were plenty of Catholics. definitely, And I think that's where like maybe groups of Brazilians and others that came from very far away were also. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, I was also very impressed by the variety of ages and physical ability to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost like, have you ever watched a marathon? Like ever like gone to like, cheer on a friend running a marathon. Yes. Yes. One of my big observations that I've I've cheered on several friends is like, when you see the people running, you're like, oh, there's all sorts of people that are doing a marathon. Like, I think I can do it. But then you're like, oh my God. And the Camino is very much like that. Like, I would say a fair amount of people are in their like 50s, like 
late 40s to early 60s. And I just think that's related to maybe like retirement or having the time or they don't have kids at home. Like I think life makes it easier to do it then. But there were plenty of people in their 20s and 30s and 40s. And there was even the sweetest man. Um, He was from Southern California. His name was Joe. And I think he was in his late 70s and just, you know, doing it at his own pace, but just doing it every day with a smile on his face. And he was just such an inspiration to us. And he was always like, you guys give me such confidence. And we're like, Joe, you are the one that's inspiring. Like, are you kidding me? So that was really cool to see, actually. He at least kept pace, right? Yes. That was you got the, to know him. Um, all the time. Yeah. Um, what would you say? How like so how off how long are you doing this? And like, do you have downtime? What do you do during the downtime? Yes. I would say a typical day would be uh, especially if you're in the hostels where people like get up early and make a lot of noise, you're not gonna be sleeping in. Um, I would usually get up around six. I'd be on the road like six thirty-seven. I really like to catch the sunrise. Like that was just a really nice aspect of it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're probably walking till about one-ish maybe two. And basically like, that's like a pretty good long day. And along the way, like we'd walk about 10 kilometers or roughly two hours and then stop somewhere, like sit, um, you know, have a breakfast, like have a coffee, whatever. And that's when I would like take off my shoes, take off my socks. This was like really good recommendations from people that have done long hiking trips is like, instead of walking and constantly stopping, like do a good chunk and then properly rest and like give your feet a rest and stuff. So Probably go like, you know, let's say if you start at seven, stop somewhere around nine, go again, stop somewhere around 11 for a quick break. And then you get to your place around one-ish. And then you would like check into your hostel or your hotel or whatever, um, shower, maybe have a lunch, take a nap, like do your laundry. Um, it was just like a really chill time. And then we called it like Apre Camino, like Apre Ski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the afternoon evenings, especially in the tiny little towns, were my favorite because you just would go to the square wherever there's like the two restaurants or one bar, right? And you just kind of hang and you'd meet all the other like fellow pilgrims. And like it was just a very easy and organic socializing. And I think with so many people doing it by themselves as well, um, it just there was no like social pressure. Do you get what I'm saying? Like people mm-hmm. kind of opt in and out. They do their own thing if they wanted. There was no like, oh, we have to be here at a certain hour. Like along the way, there's so much of the tiny village life. And that was kind of my favorite because it was easier to just organically meet people. And you meet interesting people like all the effing time. Like I remember there was one day I was hanging out with a few folks and like one guy went to some dinner, two others went to church. And I was kind of like, do I like, it's a little early. Do I just go back to my hotel? Like, what do I do? And I was like, oh, Screw it. I'll just grab a drink by myself, like in this bar. And immediately I see a woman that I'd helped a couple days before with Spanish. That's what I was doing up and down the whole Camino was like helping people with Spanish. Yeah. I wanted to say thank you. And so she's like, oh, come sit with me. And I was like, okay. And I sit down with her. She has the most fascinating life story. And then another older gentleman sits down and he had been to Iran for a month. And I was like, what the, like, Oh, whoa. Do you know what I mean? I was like, this was such an amazing night and great conversation. And it would just, it all happened by chance, right? So people like you meet a ton of people because you're all working towards this common goal. And people are just kind of open and chill. And like, if you need your alone time, you're just like, okay, I'm going back to my hotel. You guys have a fun night, right? Like there's no like, now we're friends and we have to do this together. And I just thought that was 
very like open and understanding in like a Camino sense. And I'm always like, how do we instill that in our normal lives where we just let socializing happen naturally? Because I think without the pressure, it actually happened more often than not, you know, Mm. Um, it was great. I really like that aspect. Yeah. That's what I was like, you know, I would excel at that part. I'm very much like an indoor cat. Um, but (laughs) that's your cat. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like I would probably like take a bus to from town to town. (laughs) I'll catch you in the square. Um, you do. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. So what, I guess, are there any other things that you want people to know, takeaways, benefits? What would you, what would you like people to know? Yeah, like I said, I think anyone can do it. I think it's really valuable in our modern connected digital lives to just take a fucking break. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, look, I would, I didn't even have my phone on during it because like you're walking in the morning. It's like when the US is sleeping, but I would check in, you know, like when I got to the Wi-Fi, like wherever I was staying in the afternoon or whatever. But I just think activities where it gives us that time to process is like super valuable. Um, and I think there's something really cool about this, like common shared experience that people are having and it really like opens up a lot for people. And I think just walking and talking is very therapeutic. Um, I have a theory that part of the reason why so many people are so open (laughs) on the Camino, Mm -hmm. um, is that you're both walking in the same direction. And so there's not like direct eye contact, like you're not across from each other. And I've heard this mm. people say, like, you know, if you have something difficult, you need to talk to your teenage kids about do it in the car. Like, that's just because you're both facing the same direction. And oh, yeah, I think there's something to it. I think there's something that happens on the walk. Like, obviously, these people are like self-selected to this experience. But you really like I remember sometimes I'd be walking with like one of the friends I made and, you know, we kind of be at different paces. And then they talk to somebody for a couple hours. And then we'd regroup. And they're like, Oh, yeah, I learned this, this, and this about this person. I'm like, how the fuck did you get all that in like 45 minutes? Like those are deep, like long conversations for dear friends, you know? So that's so true. That's, I mean, I think people, that's um, a recommendation people have for like meetings and stuff. It's like the, the act, like the walking, the movement really gets people talking. And that's such an interesting point about the, um, yeah, I've had some of my most difficult conversations sitting on like, not in the car because I don't, deal with cars a lot but like uh, sitting on a park bench or something like yes. that. yes yes because it's just yeah. it's not confrontational um yeah i also just think the other huge takeaway i had like there were parts um in the middle that like i got warned about where they're like oh that's like the mental part like they say the first part's physical because your body's adjusting then mm-hmm. it's mental because it's like especially in the middle of the country it's like flat kind of you know planes and things and not as many things to look at or distract yourself with and then yeah. part, they're like it's you know spiritual but that middle part, I was mentally prepared for it from like the town Burgos onward. It's like a section of the country called the Meseta. And I was like, okay, it's coming. It's coming. And like, I had my difficult week before that. And there were days where I'd just be walking and all of a sudden I'd burst into tears, you know, and I would like think through stuff. And I just mm-hmm. kept like, oh my God, I'm going to, what the hell is going to happen to me next week when I get to this? <laughs> How? But like, I think I just kind of got through it early. And I think for me, like, it was so valuable where I feel like there's so many little things in our day to day that annoy us. But like, Mm -hmm. when you get away from that, the little things go away. And then the big important things come up. And like, more often not, they're good, you know, or they're, 
good lessons. So like one thing for me, I mean, around that time, I had a few friends who, you know, lost loved ones. And even just on the trail, there's tons of people with their parents' ashes and, you know, going. Oh. So that was kind of a big theme that I was thinking about was like, you know, it was especially like the week after my family left. Right. And I was like, okay, what am I going to be like? Or how will I grieve this person, that person? And it just kind of shook me into like, okay, we're going to have to live in the present more and just really appreciate the years we have with them and to live them in a way that we're proud of. Like I thought of certain scenarios where I'm like, okay, theoretically, when this person's gone, like, do I really want to have a fight today about X, Y, Z? Because when they're gone, I'm going to regret it. Right. So it just, it, it kind of made me think differently about present relationships in a very positive way. Obviously that was hard and I was bawling and you know, all this shit, but, um, it was good. It was just good lessons. And I, The last thing I'll just say, and this is just a very, very personal observation, but, you know, my like family's from Iran, um, lived in the States since I was five. I've like lived in Europe. I've traveled a lot in the world. Like I'm one of those people that's kind of a part of many cultures, but not like one full individual identity, you know? And there was something about being in movement that felt very much like home. And I and oh. explained it was like instead of trying to fit in in any one place or culture, there was something really soothing and comforting about being in motion. And I was like, maybe this is home. Like maybe for someone like me that's from a lot of places and has a lot of like cultural, you know, inputs, like movement is home. And it just I don't know. It was very touching. But um, yeah, you know what? It's interesting because there is we don't think of it as much in like the Western tradition, but this kind of like in a lot of religious practices or yeah, religious traditions, there's um, like this contemplative walking yes. kind of spiritual aspect. And it's cool. Cause you know, in like a more secular modern world, you don't really get to get in touch with that or see that, or maybe it just seems, you know, if you're not, you know, kind of not a religious person, just don't, have that inclination but you you get to experience that in a way yeah that's what it sounds like and i can imagine like a i i want to do more caminos and walks like you know there's shorter Mm -hmm. routes different routes you can do parts of the route so it it just motivated me to want to have more of this experience but i can totally see myself at different phases of life you know when you're transitioning or you're going through a loss or whatever like i can imagine coming back there to work shit out at certain times, right? Mm-hmm. That motion, that sense of belonging, that, yeah, it's just part of the process and it's it's very healing. That's very cool. That's very yeah. cool. Okay, so to wrap this up, uh, Sanaz, do you want to get going with the recommendations? Let's do it. Okay, so my recommendation for this week is a book called The Boys in the Boat. Um, and it's by Daniel James Brown. And this is a true story about the University of Washington rowing team reaching the 1936 Summer Olympics. And it's just a wonderful, inspiring story about like, all of these, like, college students who came from different backgrounds, a lot of them, you know, really rough upbringings, and just like what it took to get them to that, that level. But just more than anything, it's just like the journey they had along the way. So again, I I was it's a it's very well written. It's very inspirational and just that like a group of scrappy kids from the University of Washington can get there is like super fascinating and motivating. So anyway, I'd recommend everybody check it out. Cool. Cool. Um, so I 
I really love travel writing in in general. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted. I was thinking of you know some of the classics. There's Mark Twain's Innocence Abroad. Um, there's a Baudrillard does a really great meditation on his travels through America. Joan Didion writes really well on travel. But I thought because I'm a big proponent of um, redeeming things that are have been maligned for being too popular. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to recommend the and also maligned for being written by women. Eat, pray, love. I get it. It's a cliche, but it's also a great book. I have I haven't seen the movie, um, but the the writer Elizabeth Gilbert is a really excellent writer, and there's a reason why it's popular. It's yeah. you know it's kind of um, it's this one woman you know, she goes through a divorce and then she decides to take a year. Uh, she goes to Italy for four months she goes to india yes she eats she goes to india to learn spiritual to live on like an ashram and learns like spiritual traditions so that's pray and then she goes to bali to like chill um and she meets she meets a dude there and so that's like love um <laughs> and it's very you know i think since it, it you know it was, it was an oprah book uh it was made into a movie with julia roberts um, but it's a really good, uh, I, I don't know if I go in necessarily for all the like, uh, more introspective aspects, but the descriptions mm-hmm. of just like her life in all these places is wonderful. Yeah. Um, and she also does have this kind of like spiritual arc through it. So, mm-hmm. um, I want to redeem that book and recommend it to everybody. I really like that. Cause I think. Like, I wanted to talk about that because like, you know, there's, like you said, there's a reason it's popular. There's a reason people connect with it. And why are we hating on it so much? So I like that you kind of brought up the the positive aspects for people to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you, popular for a reason. Do you want to watch the movie, Rach? Or are you just? No, no. (laughs) Forget it. There's, I, you know, a lot of times when you read the book and you see the movie, it kind of ruins what you've created in your head. And it replaces it. And I, and I don't really have the need to do that. You know, I read it maybe 15 years ago. I was right when it came out. Um, I only watched the movie. I should probably go back and read the book because I just remember feeling like she had a whiny tone in the movie, but again, maybe the book is just so much better. And the Camino, I'm just going to see it so differently. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, whatever movies, movies are rarely, rarely exceed the books. So the book is rarely. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. All right. That's it for us this week. Um, Until next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.